Today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage for real fans. Real fans like us, because we actually love The Athletic. We're both subscribers. A big shout out to Michael Russo for giving us all the hockey coverage that we Minnesotans need. Plus, it's ad-free. So go to theathletic.com slash bytes. That's theathletic.com slash bytes for 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's $36 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action than you could ever dream of. Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Seth. And I'm Charlie. Each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in under 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or just plain absurd. Now, with brevity in mind, let's get into it. Charlie, what do we got today? I'm glad you asked, because today we're going to tell you the story of Bill Vec, a baseball innovator that came up with many of the craziest ideas and traditions in the history of the sport. A man who never swung a bat that we know of, but who became one of the most important figures in baseball history. I love free agency in baseball. Well, you can thank Bill Vec for that. I am also a dog owner, so I don't really like fireworks at the ballpark. Well, you can blame Bill Vec for that. I do happen to love Wrigley Field's bleachers. Again, you can thank Bill Vec for that one. But I hate the designated hitter. Well, you can blame Bill Vec for that. Take me out to the ball game. I don't know if we should blame or thank Bill Vec for that one. Bill Vec. The man, the myth, the legend. It's hard to fit all of the things he did for the game of baseball into just a 15-minute episode, but boy, are we going to try. When you think about people that change their sport as much as Bill, you pretty quickly come up empty. There really are no other Bill Vecks. The only person that I could come up with who's a good comparison is Thomas Edison. What Edison was for electricity, Vec was for baseball. It goes beyond just pushing for change. It's how he did it. At their core, Edison and Vec are brilliant innovators, but they're also carnival barkers. They're showmen, always looking for the next way to force people to pay attention just long enough to check out their great ideas. Edison invented the light bulb, created a better telephone, and won the battle against Nikola Tesla to control the electric currents that the entire developed world would eventually use. Yeah, shout out to direct current power. DC, baby! DC. Alongside his inventions, Edison also electrocuted an elephant with Tesla's preferred AC power. The lit-up spectacle of New Year's Eve is all thanks to Edison, too. He first showed the world his new invention, the light bulb, you ever heard of it? By throwing a New Year's Eve party in Menlo Park, New Jersey. When the guests arrive all dressed to the nines, the night sky lit up as the guests awed at the first light bulbs ever seen in public. Edison was a genius, an inventor, and a mythmaker, and sometimes it's hard to figure out where one part started and the other part stopped. Bill Vec was cut from the same cloth. So Bill's born in 1914. His dad is a sports writer in Chicago and spends his time ravaging the Cubs and talking about how they're screwing things up and how we do things differently. So the owner of the Cubs, chewing gum titan William Wrigley, comes up with a brilliant idea and makes his dad the team president to call his bluff. So from a young age, Bill's life is really all about baseball. In 1933, his father dies, and the team makes Bill Vec the club treasurer at the age of 19. 19. I don't think I could balance a checkbook at 19, let alone... I don't think you could either. A club treasurer, yeah. 
So Bill serves uh, there for a few years and then heads off to World War II. But deploying to fight the Nazis did not stop Bill's baseball ideas. He used letters he was sending back from the front to pass along ideas to the Cubs, very much his father's son. When he's over there fighting in Europe, he gets his leg blown off, and he walks with a wooden leg for the rest of his life. So 1942, Bill's back from the war and gets his first job marketing at, I kid you not, the Harlem Globetrotters, doing work for them in the upper Midwest. Yeah, pretty standard post-war stuff. Right, very normal. Vec's next big idea in 1942, five years before Jackie Robinson's debut, he goes to try to buy the Phillies, and he wants to fill the entire roster with Negro League players. Mysteriously or not, given the segregationist tendencies of baseball at the time, the Phillies are very quickly sold to someone else. A few years later in 1946, Vec finds a team to buy, the Cleveland Indians. Shout out to the Guardians, by the way. Can't wait to see the Twins kick some Guardian butt next year. Eat it, Guardians. Eat it, Guardians. The next year, Vec brings in the first black player in the American League, Larry Dobby, who is an incredible player, Hall of Fame player, and this is a year after Jackie Robinson joins the Dodgers in the National League. Three players on the team wouldn't shake Dobby's hand, so Vec gets rid of them immediately. The next year, Vec signed the legendary Negro League pitcher Satchel Paige as the oldest rookie in the history of baseball. Vec then starts some of his interesting ideas. He brings in a portable center field wall, which he would move in and out between series, depending on what gave the team an advantage until baseball bans the practice. That's not the only strange idea, though. He also hires a guy named Max Patkin as coach. Max is really best described as a court jester. He's sort of a Marx brother type. He just does weird physical comedy, and he does it in the dugout. Fans love it. Baseball tells him it's not allowed forces him to fire him, and after thousands of fans protest, Vect says, screw it, and brings him back in. Sideshow aside, the team is actually really good. So good that they win the World Series in 1948. But the next season, Vect gets divorced, loses a bunch of his money, and has to sell the team. By the way, the Indians have not won a World Series since. The longest drought in baseball. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Vect's back three years later in 1951, buying the St. Louis Browns. So important thing to note about St. Louis in the 50s, it's the eighth biggest city in the U.S. It has almost three times as many people as it does today. Right. So St. Louis is actually a two-team town back then. There's the St. Louis Browns and, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals. Vec immediately tries to drive the Cardinals out of town. He even hires one of their legends, Rogers Hornsby, to be the Browns manager. He also brings in a new player, Eddie Geidel, who is the feature of a very famous sports photo because he was three feet, seven inches tall. Yeah, and Eddie wears jersey number one-eighth, which is just very Bill Vec. I love love that. Eddie is probably the smallest player in baseball history, and Vec brings him in for one game to see if any pitcher can throw a strike against his tiny strike zone. Vec also hosts a night where the fans get to make all the strategy decisions for the manager. The batting lineup, the pitching changes, everything is decided by the fans. And they won that one 5-3. Yeah, let the fans let the fans coach. He proposes the first revenue sharing agreement between teams, which obviously is shot down by the Yankees, of course. Boo! <laughs> right when he's about to win the battle for St. Louis's heart, and the Cardinals are about to pack up and move to Houston, Anheuser Busch jumps in. They buy the team. They decide to keep the Cardinals at home, and on the back of the team's newly foamy coffers, and presumably with the Clydesdales serving as a revolutionary vanguard, the Cardinals win the battle drive the Browns out of town. Bill is forced to sell the team, and he sells to a group that's bringing baseball to Baltimore, and the Browns are off. 
Imagine if the Mets and the Yankees were mm. <laughs> boo Yankees, boo Yankees. Imagine if the the Mets and the Yankees were trying to push each other out of town. I think we should bring that back. I, I think we should too. So from 1954 to 1959, Vec is out of baseball, but you knew he wouldn't stay out and away that long. So Vec ends up buying the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox win the pennant the first year he's the owner and then set an attendance record the next year on the backs of a good team, but also Vec's marketing acumen. He builds a scoreboard that shoots fireworks when they hit home runs, which in the 1960s was like showing a Tamagotchi to a caveman. <laughs> he puts last names on his players' jerseys, which hadn't really been done before, and teams start to copy the idea, including the newly launched American Football League pre-NFL merger, shout out Pete Gogolak, which eventually leads to all major American sports adopting the tradition of putting names on the back of jerseys. Vex health begins to fail him, and he ends up selling the White Sox, and that's Pretty much the end of the story. The end of the story? He didn't buy any more teams? No, gotcha. Obviously not the end of the story. Five years later, Vec is back, and he buys the White Sox for a second time. The, the guy just can't stay away. Vec's next stunt is to make four trades in a hotel lobby with a rival GM in front of the entire world. Then Vec does the unthinkable as an owner. Kurt Flood is a player for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's working to bring free agency to baseball. At the time, player contracts are super restrictive, and players don't really have the ability to shop their services on the open market. Owners hate the idea of free agency. Mm -hmm. So Flood has to bring his case all the way to the Supreme Court, saying that as a worker, he should be able to control his own labor. And only one owner shows up to testify in his favor. Obviously, it was Bill Veck. Flood wins his landmark case, and free agency comes to baseball. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in a future story here from Legendary Bites. During his final tenure with the White Sox, which was indeed Bill's final round of ownership, we're not tricking you this time, he has two other amazing ideas. One, he forces their announcer, a gentleman named Harry Carey, to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game to the whole crowd. Carey goes along with it and then brings the idea across town to the Cubs when he takes their announcer gig, which leads to the great Wrigley Field tradition of someone in the press box singing to the whole crowd. Love me some Harry Carey. Another stunt Vec was behind was the infamous Disco Demolition Night. This is 1979. Disco is dead, and Bill discounts tickets to the White Sox to 98 cents for anyone who brings a disco record to the ballpark. The plan is to burn all the records after the game, but for some reason they do this between games of a doubleheader. So the records are burned after the first game, but a riot starts, and the Sox have to forfeit the second game of the doubleheader. L look up Disco Demolition Night. It's insane. Crazy story. Vec owns the team for a couple more years, sells them, and after Jerry Reinsdorf buys the team and decides to talk smack about Vec's ownership, Vec becomes a Cubs fan for the rest of his life. Vec's baseball legacy still continues on today, especially in the minor leagues. Bill's son, Mike, becomes the owner of the St. Paul Saints alongside co-owner Bill Murray. And the Saints carry on the wonderful Vec tradition of totally wild marketing stunts. Get to a Saints game if you can. They're a blast. Yeah, do it. Another team that has taken a page out of the VEC book of baseball is the Savannah Bananas. In fact, they've taken baseball entertainment to a whole new level by creating their own version of the sport called Banana Ball. You should really go look up Banana Ball as well. It's, <laughs> it's really nuts. The legacy of a man like Bill Vack is bound to have some missprinkled in. A few famous ones surround Wrigley Field, where he began his love of baseball. Vec claimed credit for planting the famous Wrigley Field ivy that dons the outfield wall. But in reality, it was actually done before he got there. 
Vec also told a story about how he would move a screen into right field, similar to what he actually did later on. But at Wrigley, he said he would make it part of the wall and he would remove it when the Cubs were batting. Baseball historians have showed that there's no evidence of any of that really being real. Bill Vec was literally larger than life. So over the top, so outrageous, so genius that you can barely believe it all. Because like anyone that changes the world, the myths mix in with reality. But the thing that really shines through is that Bill Vec was a one of one. He saw the sport in a way that no one else did and changed baseball forever. They'll never make another one like Bill Vec. Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Josh Yeston for his design talents, and to Eddie Geidel for having a perfect career on base percentage. Follow us on all things social at LegendaryBytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. While you're listening, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be great, but you know, that's, that's up to you. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to get more great 15-minute stories on sports history and everything in between.